0: The International Association for Near Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. What if your wife or husband had premonitions of the future? What if they could move objects without touching them or even without touching it, hit, hit you with a flying vegetable as you walk down the supermarket aisle? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Psychokinesis, or PK, from the Greek mind movement, is seen by some as the next potential step in human evolution. Examples include moving an object, levitating, and teleporting. In the Matrix movie, Neo watches as a child bends the spoon with his mind. Neo is impressed until the child reminds him of the underlying reality... There is no spoon. Our program today picks up where we left off with Cheryl Lee last week, as she describes in detail her three near-death experiences, the gifts she gained, and how she is researching, most especially, her psychokinetic abilities. My interview with Cheryl Lee was recorded at the Washington, D.C., IONS Conference in August of last year. If you are listening to this as an archived program, I would suggest you first listen to last week's show, which is the first half of this remarkable interview. Enjoy. Well, tell us about your third NDE.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, my third NDE, I was a master corporal in an artillery regiment at the time of my third NDE and I was actually, I was in a really good position, I was so happy at that particular time in my life. I worked as a musician for the artillery part of the year as a reservist, and the rest of the year I was a landscape painter. And I, and I made enough to make a decent living between those two. And uh, the day of the accident, I'd actually driven to Provincial Park. It was in January of '93, and it was an unusually warm January day in the Canadian prairies because it went above freezing. And so, you know, I couldn't let a day that's above freezing go to waste so you know I I took my little dog and we went out to uh, the provincial park and I was gonna paint for the day and if I were ever gonna choose my last day on this earth that would have been absolutely perfect I mean, it was the most perfect beautiful day I'd ever had you know I was out there with my little dog I painted um, you know we ate Candy bars by a frozen lake. Um, you know, we had hot chocolate and, uh, it was just a wonderful, spectacularly beautiful day out in, out in the wilderness. And, um, on our way home, I guess because the temperature had, as soon as the sun dipped below the horizon, um, the water that, the snow that had melted and water had gone across the road and it froze up has black ice. And on my way home at highway speeds, um, myself and a tractor-trailer coming in the opposite direction both lost control, and my car was sheared in half and crushed to the dashboard by the back of the tractor-trailer landing on it. Um, My little dog was probably killed instantly. And I don't know how I survived it. I was told by the volunteer fire department that got there first, that it was like there was this tiny little box in the wreckage that I was squished into, and there was nothing else <laughs> that, wow. there's. you know, um, I mean, one of the things that saved me was the driver's seat broke, so I was flat on my back when the ceiling was crushed down to the dashboard. Otherwise, I, I certainly wouldn't be here. I also wouldn't be here if there hadn't been a witness to the accident that was on the fi- volunteer fire department and who had access to the heavy equipment they used to pull the tractor trailer off of my car mm. <laughs> and do CPR on me. <laughs> and, all, like, it was just, it, you know, very unusual because it was an isolated road going in, in the, into a provincial park in the wintertime when there's nobody. Only, you know, only crazy people go into, <laughs> into the wilderness in, in January. Um, but... Uh,
0: so wh- what happened to you
1: what happened to me um, I you know i didn't go through a tunnel, but strangely enough, the first things I remember were being in uh, like an, an apartment that was really long and skinny and uh, there were bookshelves all the way down <laughs> and and uh, my grandmother was there the one who had who had passed away when I was in my twenties um, she was there and we went out in the balcony, and my little dog, Cassie, was playing in the meadow below. Oh. And uh, I wanted to go there with her. I was going to jump off the balcony to go be with my, my dog. And my grandmother wouldn't let me go. And she... I um, she, it, it, I guess to you I would describe it as she was hanging on to my hand, but I'm not really sure it was like a... It's not like this kind of a hand. No. It, it's, It was kind of like being light and sort of having this idea of this image of myself too but knowing that this isn't really me you know that the light bits are me (laughs) um even my my dog I mean my dog was like light with an idea of herself as a dog (laughs) kind of and um I really really wanted to go down where she was she's was playing in the meadow and there was like a forest beyond and she was going into the forest and I was going to follow her and my grandmother would not let me go and I fought it and fought it and I was I was gonna go <laughs> into that forest and grandma wouldn't let me and she kept saying I know that I know that you don't understand this right now and I didn't because I didn't really remember what had happened and where I'd You know, what had led up to that. I just remembered being on this balcony with my grandma and I was so happy to see grandma because I hadn't seen her and touched her like that in years. And, um, uh, she just kept saying, I'll get you through this. And I kept thinking, get me through what? This place is great. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? Get me through this. And, And, you know, and, you know, come on grandma. Let's, let's, go go down there and and you know follow cassie (laughs) and and, um and she kept saying like like really just remember this part that you know i'll get you through this like it's okay i'll get you through this and uh but she wouldn't let me go and and she kept telling me i needed to go back and i said go back to what i don't want to go anywhere i want to stay here and um she said well you're going to have to go back but you don't have to go back right this minute, even though I was thinking, well, minutes don't really make sense, but she said, you know, we can hang out here for a while, and we kind of went into that apartment and watched it get kind of dark as, you know, the sun went down outside, Um, and I guess I should kind of say that when we were out on the balcony and everything felt really great, it was raining, but it wasn't raining like rain it was just there was these little drops that looked like raindrops of light, and they were touching my skin. And wherever they touched, they felt like warm, and they were like happy raindrops. And everything, there was a sense that everything had this consciousness, that everything was intelligent and had emotions. And so you knew how the flowers were feeling, and you knew how the light was feeling, and and how it was responding, and it was just really happy you know like yay I'm I exist <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> like there was just this this yay existence kind of um, attitude about everything and there was also it was like winter and summer and spring and fall all at the same time and so I mean you'd see like bunnies that were white and bunnies that were brown <laughs> you know and flowers and snow
0: from the
1: balcony yeah I could see that. yeah I could see all that that there was all these you know that everything was at once even though I had a sense that there were different um, times <laughs> being represented there was all like it was kind of like you know how now can be like now this instant but if you really think about it it's always now
0: so it was everything compressed into one yeah. vision yeah. So, ha- what happened when uh, they rescued? Was that the end of, of your vision, or did you go somewhere else after that?
1: Um, well, I remember my grandma and I sitting around and talking for a long time inside. We had tea and cookies. And uh, one of the really funny things is that th- I remember the cookies because there were peanut butter cookies, there were chocolate chip cookies, there were hermit cookies, and, and um, this other type of fruit cookie that I didn't like. And I remember eating all the peanut butter and all the chocolate chip cookies and leaving the other ones. And my grandma didn't eat them. And I kept thinking, like, Grandma, why don't you eat them? Because you know I'm not going to eat them. And she kept saying, well, we'll just wait till, you'll you'll want them later. And I'm like, no, I won't. I don't eat those kind of cookies. But it's funny because in the years since then, those are my favorite types now. <laughs> so I guess I, so I have this image now that the next time I go back, the cookies I like best will be waiting there for me. <laughs> um, but, and we talked about my li- life, but like not just what had already happened in my life, but also things that were going to happen. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I found out, and I was able to confirm it, I didn't know this about my mom and my grandma, but they didn't like each other before my parents were married. <laughs> um, th- that uh, is my dad's mother, and and they're they're so much alike. And I guess as a little kid, it would hard, you know, like they were, mom and grandma were just cut from the same. <laughs> like my dad really chose someone very very much like his mother um, to marry, and I had no idea that they really. Grandma had actually been quite mean to my mom and done mean, spiteful things. And she she actually said that she felt very badly for how she had treated my mother because she said my mother actually turned out to be a very good mother to her grandchildren and that she wishes that she had been kinder to her (laughs) when, when she was alive. And I went and I asked my mom about some of the things that my grandma had told me about, and my mom confirmed it. And But, you know, when you're little, you just you're oblivious to what the adults, <laughs> you know, and how, how people are getting along. You just assume everybody loves grandma.
0: <laughs> so after, after tea and cookies, how did you, uh, was there something between that and your being back in your body?
1: Um, there was, I mean, there was a lot of information in that thing. Like I said, I saw things that, we're going to happen and things that have actually happened to me since then that I remember seeing but good and bad yeah both yeah <laughs> yeah like i saw you know i i you know i saw more about you know the end of my first marriage and which wasn't very good and and uh and things about my you know things about my future that some haven't happened yet but some have and At the time, you know, I really wasn't sure what to think about it all. Um, I remember her telling me, though, that when I got back, there would be a sign from her that this really happened, and um, one of the things that was interesting was when I had gone painting in the park, I had a set of paintbrushes that she had given me. Now almost everything was destroyed in my car. My car was ripped in half. and. There was very little left. I mean, I had a, a metal, a steel metal um, thermos of hot chocolate that was just crumpled up like a wrapper. Um, you know, the, the car was, I mean, the car was unrecognizable. It, it was in pieces. And somebody had found my backpack in the wreckage, and it was even shredded. But inside the backpack, these watercolor brushes that my grandmother had given me were absolutely pristine. <laughs> <laughs> They were, they, they were the one thing that survived the car accident. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. But I did not want to come back. And, and particularly once I figured out what I was coming back to, because at first I was kind of oblivious to w- what would be waiting back for me. And I remember seeing what was my body in the hospital, and it was in really bad shape. I mean, it was just, it was all purple and swollen. It didn't look like me at all. And I remember thinking, "There's no way I'm going to fit in there." <laughs> like that was—I mean—that was my biggest concern. Is I'm just—I'm not going to fit.
0: <laughs> your soul was not going to fit in your body. <laughs> what w- were there? What were there serious injuries? I mean, were you at broken bones or damaged organs or anything like
1: that? Um, well, I was um, un- unconscious for days after the accident. Um, so I had a severe head injury. Um, they originally weren't sure if I was actually going to keep this arm. I had really, really bad. I mean, when my car was ripped in half, it was ripped in half right between the driver's side and the passenger side. So I had a lot of injuries along my my right hand side. Um, yeah, my my knee was like my leg had to be stuck back together by an orthopedic surgeon. I needed uh, um, extensive uh, plastic surgery and and. Uh, like most of the skin was ripped off this side of my face. Um, you did a beautiful job. <laughs> um, you know, my I was I have a fractured bit here. Um, my jaw was knocked out of place. Uh, you know, I had a big gash here. I mean, I was originally they they um, were not expecting me to live. Then they weren't expecting me to have any hearing in this ear, and they they were pretty sure I would lose the sight in this eye. They really they thought the brain damage would probably be pretty extensive. I mean my first husband was told like he was in the army at the time and he was expecting to come and identify the body that yeah they weren't expecting me to be still be there when he got there yeah it was it was really hard on him and and then when I first woke up I guess the first well I guess to get back in the body my grandmother pushed me just just you know i did not go willingly <laughs> i remember i distinctly remember being pushed <laughs> and i distinctly remember thinking, grandma <laughs> just, like, like, like not how could my grandma do that Grandma, how cruel you are <laughs> I, I i had a difficult time thinking that my grandma would do something like that <laughs> it just wasn't my image of her at all um but um Yeah, so when I was there, I think one of the first things I remember was the, uh, the firemen who, uh, who had gotten me out of the wreckage. They had come to the hospital with a teddy bear for me. And when I first woke up, like, you know, the idea that that place is more real than this place, you really notice it when you first come back because when I woke up, I thought it was all a dream. I remember these three hazy-looking firemen, and the first thing I thought was, I must be dreaming, but if I'm dreaming about firemen, why am I not dreaming about my brother, who's a fireman? (laughs) Because it seemed to me, if I was going to dream about firemen, that would be like the one fireman that I know. (laughs) Why isn't he there? And not only that, but why are they holding this teddy bear and shaking it in front of me? I'm a grown woman, but my, my eyes had been swollen shut, and originally the doctors were concerned that because of all the glass from the windshield that I might not have um, eyesight particularly in this eye and so but they couldn't see anything because my face was just purple and everything was swollen shut there was no way for me to open my eyes and so when I first when the swelling had gone down and the first thing that I remember when I could open my eyes was a bunch of firemen with a teddy bear talking to me like I was a baby because they wanted me to open my eyes because they were just so thrilled to see that that I actually had survived and that the person they had rescued was actually alive and, and, you know, recognizing them in some way.
0: (laughs) How long did it take you to recover?
1: Surprisingly, not anywhere near as long as the doctors thought it would. I made a tremendously quick recovery now i had to have a lot of surgery on the leg but i was actually on parade on doing a change of command parade it was in january the accident i was doing a change of command parade playing drums in a pipe band um by june yeah now i couldn't walk upstairs it took me like there were things i couldn't do and actually i did that parade and and afterwards, I was walking on crutches again. Like, you know, I kind of went back and forth. I couldn't walk for very far. But, uh, yeah, I was, you know, that August, I flew to Vancouver and played in the Fest Parade. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what gifts did, did you find you had after this third NDE?
1: Um, I would say after the third NDE, it was more a reminder of all those gifts that I'd kind of pushed aside and forgotten about as I was getting older because as a as a child I kind of knew they were there and in fact I assumed everybody did that everybody had them like you know, I didn't know I thought it was an adult conspiracy that that people just didn't talk about these things you know kind of like sex That <laughs> you know it was just one of those things that in polite company you don't talk about um And of course, because I'd had trouble in school because of it, I'd learned to keep it very, very quiet. And as I got older, I was probably my late teens when I realized that other people didn't see light-colored lights around people. Um, And I cried for everybody who couldn't. I felt I I really felt, you know, very, very sad that other people don't see what I see. You know, it, it took me a long time to get used to the fact that that you don't see lights, you see flash, you know. Um, and and so for a long time I just kind of pushed it aside. And even though I had some, you know, occasionally there would be a bit of poltergeist activity and I would just rationalize it away. It's, oh, those things happen, it's no big deal, and I'm just going to ignore it now and not ever talk about it. Um, you know, or if I saw a ghost, I would just, again, well everybody sees those or I'm just not going to worry about it and just kind of carry on and 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 I mean in some ways I think that was good that I had you know the years from my late teens and through my 20s where I really connected with this place and this life and got married and did all those things that I said I wasn't going to do (laughs) when I was 10 because maybe they wouldn't work out maybe I'd be better off with my 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 ghosts and my pretty lights (laughs)
0: And moving things, did that happen occasionally? Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Or more than occasionally? Um, uh,
1: occasionally enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how did you explain that to to people when it, when it happened?
1: I just didn't. I just played innocent for the most <laughs> part. Wow, did you see that? <laughs> and I didn't know it was me. I mean, I actually didn't know that it was me doing it in, yeah. until um, fairly recently, actually. I just assumed it was... Something out there doing it that had nothing necessarily to do with me, and I think that's one way of rationalizing it, just to live with it. Of course. You yeah.
0: Know, um, well, you mentioned uh, vegetables yeah. flying at your husband.
1: Yeah. When he told a bad joke in the grocery store, and uh, some greenery flung itself at him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a wonderful story. <laughs> So how does he deal with this? Does he? I mean, does he find it interesting or funny or just just more a part of you?
1: Um, when we were first dating, I explained to him that I saw lights around things, and, and I mean, I, I figured, I mean, I, I figured that to be fair to anyone I'm dating, um, that I, you know, I had to at least come clean a little bit, and, and so I remember, I remember explaining to him that because. It was really his lights that attracted me to him. Like, he was like the brightest light in the room. I mean, there, there was an attraction there that it was... It was that... It was like this beacon, a lighthouse, that attracted me to him. And so, of course, when you put it that way, it sounds very cute. <laughs> well,
0: romantic. <laughs> yeah. It sounds
1: very romantic. It so- sounds harmless Myst- and romantic. Mystically
0: romantic, yeah.
1: <laughs> But it's harmless and yeah, new agey yeah. and cute and... Yes. and he was fine with that. Um, But certainly it's been a challenge for him that when things move, because he comes from a hard science background and he wasn't raised to believe in things like that (laughs) possible. But, you know, even now, I mean, he, he's more open to the science of it that, um, that there are researchers looking into these things that it's not just me making it up. And I mean, he's seen it enough times, you know, when I've done experiments, so the fact that I've gone to laboratories and participated in experiments, that that's given it a certain validity to him that it wouldn't have otherwise if it was just me having these weird things happening at home. He would tend to think we were both going nuts, I'm sure.
0: Right. Oh, Tell us a little about um, the, the difficulty you've had trying to get scientists to verify these uh, abilities.
1: There just isn't a lot of research into it. Um, and I think that there's a reluctance, even among parapsychologists, to deal with what's essentially macro-PK. Um, and, I mean, this is something that's actually been documented and written about. Um, Charles Tartt wrote a paper back in the 70s about the fear of psi and how even parapsychologists are um, paralyzed in some ways by... you know a fear of what they even want to study and you know and he says one of the ways it shows up is in these um, parapsychological research projects that produce just barely significant levels of very very small effects so that you know you'll get micro pk that's statistically valid and publishable but it's got a p-value of just hovering slightly above 0.5, which, you know, just...
0: Right. Whereas if, <laughs> if vegetables or a book fly across the room, they can't no, deal with it. No.
1: You know and, and, that, and they're happy to publish things as long as it's just barely significant. If it's extremely significant, then they think that there must be fraud or cheating or something going on, or they just don't want to look at it. And, and so... When when I've actually you know hoped to become involved with researchers, a lot of them have just backed away from it. Yeah, you know I mean there's been a few exceptions. I did some work with Bill Roll when he was still alive, and um, he had me at Michael Persinger's lab in uh, at Laurentian University, and we did some work there. And I've been to the Ryan Research Center um, and done some very preliminary work there, <laughs> but. You know, and, and I understand that it, part of the issue is funding and a lack of people doing research, but there's also...
0: A, a lack, lack of courage perhaps yes, as well. Like
1: there's also a lack of courage that, you know, people kind of push it to the side and go, yeah, that might be a really interesting area, but we're just not gonna go there right now. And that's kind of where it stays. And, and I might not be, you know, five years from now interested in doing a research project, you know?
0: Well, perhaps this will uh, this interview will stimulate some people to uh, to give you a call and and actually do some research, which clearly should be done. I think it's fascinating.
1: Well, and I mean, as far as NDEs go, I was really shocked to um, meet other NDEs who've had poltergeist, um, you know, occurrences in their own lives after their NDEs, and they didn't realize that it was something that's actually not uncommon with us
0: (laughs) thank you so much for uh for sitting down being willing to talk to us about (laughs) this uh i think this is going to be fascinating to all the people that uh, are connected with ions and also uh, with the people in general who are beginning to wonder you know about the greater reality of this world so (laughs) thanks thanks again (laughs) I want to thank Cheryl Lee for the degree to which she shared her experiences with us over the last two programs. She is a remarkable and brilliant woman, and I hope she will join us on NDE Radio again as her research progresses. I also want to thank my good friend Morrow Jones for the help he provided in recording this interview, and thanks to Dave Olson at Talk Zone Radio for putting the show together. For those who would like to learn more about NDEs, please check out our website at iands.org. And join us again next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.